Hey guys, and welcome to the first episode, uh, the first real episode of Backyards and Basilisks. I'm excited to bring you Lily's story. Until I actually set it up to where Lily will be your host from now on, I feel that she herself needs an introduction, and I will be providing that introduction. My first character, my first piece of myself that I've actually put into any sort of creation I've ever made, is Lily Bloodfang, a 15-foot-tall werewolf with white fur with black on the ends. Kind of a reverse salt and pepper, if you will, with brilliant green eyes. She starts to tell her story within the room of the Lotus Tavern. I hope you all enjoy the story that she has to tell you. It's a long one. And I hope you stick with it. But without further ado, let me introduce you to Lily Bloodfang. Hello, and well, welcome to the back room of the Lotus Sun. My name is Lily Bloodfang. Now, I initially took this space in my daughter's daughter to try and, well, bring in my friends and other adventurers to be able to tell our stories to those who would listen. I find it important to be able to keep records of adventurers and the way that they've changed the world around us. But for now, until I can actually get someone in here to actually do an interview, you're stuck with me. I am... The Alpha Werewolf, at least of my home world. You see, I can't really tell you my history. My history goes back so far and over so many lifetimes that I can't really explain everything that I've been through. But I can tell you of the life that I do remember. And to be honest, one of the first things that I remember is, well... Waking up in a crypt. <laughs> I woke up in a crypt as a skeleton. It was a pain in the ass to try to get out of said crypt. I was in a coffin that was nailed shut. And, well, when you have no musculature, it makes it very difficult to push a nailed coffin lid away from yourself. It's been such a long time that I don't actually remember how I got out of that coffin, but I did. And upon exiting that coffin, I came upon a creature known as Kitala, a servant of the leader of a town called Isis. A large, gargantuan, well... Bigger than gargantuan dragon named Draconis. <laughs> a dragon named Draconis. Yeah. 
but it turns out that both of those people eventually become very close friends in confidence. Regardless, once I was out of that crypt, Kitala led myself and another individual who seemingly was resurrected from death for no reason to another individual's tower. A vampire lord named Cain, who I had no recollection or memory of, but apparently were related. I didn't know that we were related at the time, but through some magic of his, for it's been, oh, several hundred years since that happened, I'm very old. Don't ask me how old I am. That's rude. You never ask a lady how old she is. But it's been several hundred years. I'm sorry if I can't remember every single detail. But through some magic of his some sort or another, he was able to give us flesh again. I remember the flesh growing back onto my skeletal frame, as well as a half-orc individual who also followed us out of who also followed me out of the crypt. Unfortunately, his new life did not last very long. A Vorpal dagger, I believe, that he called that Kitala carried around has sentience to it and felt the need to feast. I'm only lucky that I wasn't its mm, target. She stuck that Vorpal blade right into this individual's chest and he promptly died. Again, not a very good start to an adventure, is it? <laughs> but once I had my flesh and my fur back, well, the memories were still missing. So I continued on my way, trying to find out anything about myself. I started out by calling to other werewolves and they answered. I found out by talking to one of the leaders of that group, a pitch black werewolf named Raven, that I was the Alpha. I didn't understand how he'd come back to life. I honestly still don't really understand what all happened in that moment, but I did understand one thing from a conversation with the Vampire Lord, and that was that the werewolves and the vampires had been fighting. Which, I mean, that's a little bit, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for. It's a little, it's expected. Vampires and werewolves being enemies, that's just how it is. The thing is, is, I didn't like it. So I tried to convince the werewolves to not fight Cain's brood. Many of them, at that point in time, turned away from me. Raven was one of the few that didn't. He actually listened to what I had to say, and, to my surprise, agreed with me. From there, I travelled alone for a little bit, not as long as I would think, and I found a human in the woods. 
why the seaman was in the woods, I did not know. But he was carrying a bow and traveling with a small pseudo-dragon. I can't remember the pseudo-dragon's name for the life of me. But the human, a long-time friend, was named Baird. Spelled as Bard, which could be very confusing for one actually looking at official documents. He carried a bow with him. Instead of traveling alone, we decided to travel together. Baird, the pseudo-dragon, and myself. We ran into trouble literally the first night that we stopped. None of us stopped to take watch. I didn't even really know what I was doing at the time. But I digress. I was tired. I'd just come back from death. You can't expect me to take watch after coming back from death, can you? Regardless, Baird had his bow stolen over the night, which actually turned out to be a huge problem for him. You see, he somehow got his hands on Artemis's bow, the goddess. Not some legendary hero or anything like that. This was a powerful artifact of a deity that he'd had stolen from him. So, of course, we go to track the thief. I pick up the scent first. Being a werewolf and all, I'm actually very good at scent tracking. Who knew? Canine smell abilities. <laughs> I follow the tracks for quite a bit until we come to a clearing that looks as if it had been burned. And not just slightly burned. Swaths of trees and forest were just burnt to cinders. But the foots, the, uh, the footsteps continued to travel through the ash. So, of course, Baird and the pseudo-dragon follow the tracks. Me, I decide to try and stealth. And being as tall as I am... By the way, I know I'm sitting down, but I'm 15 feet tall. I might not seem as tall while I'm sitting, but I'm actually... Okay, it's very hard to stealth when you're 15 feet tall. But that's what I did. So as they continue down the path, following the footsteps, I tried to sneak in behind them. They found themselves in a cave that smelled horrendously of sulfur. Now, if that doesn't give you bad vibes, I don't know what does. But they continued forward into the lair of a gargantuan red dragon and his horde. That's never a good thing. Red dragons can be volatile <laughs> on the best of days. But he needed to get this bow back. So... Of course, he goes in to try and inspect things. They're doing quite well, actually. They're being stealthy. They're not making much noise. Unfortunately for them, I am a 15-foot-tall werewolf, and sneaking is not the easiest thing for me to do. I, um... <laughs> I ran into one of those sulfur pillars, knocked it over, and, well, fell into a coughing fit. Which, of course, woke the dragon. Not a good thing. Ooh. We walk in. 
and have a conversation with this uh, large dragon about how someone had stolen Baird's bow and that we were just trying to track him. We meant no harm. We didn't want any part of his horde. We... None of that. None of that at all. So, through a discussion that went mostly well, we convinced the dragon that if we could get the bow, which just so happened to be hanging from a hand in his teeth, which meant he ate the thief. Um, if we could get the bow unstuck from his teeth, we could take it and leave. Now, you might be asking, how well did that go for you? The answer to that question also is, not well. I had the bright idea to try and climb the dragon's teeth. I uh, cut my hands up pretty good with that, but... Being a werewolf of Gaia, they regenerate health easily. So I was able to prevent my fingers from being cut off. But we couldn't leave without that bow. So we left without the bow. <laughs> there wasn't much that we could do. It's a red dragon. What are we going to do against the red dragon? But then seemingly, out of nowhere, a group of knights, is the best that I can describe them, walk in and set down these bits and pieces of metal that I learned later was a more advanced technology than I'd ever encountered, and trapped the dragon. We weren't able to learn much about these individuals except for the fact that they came from a place called Isis. With this information and, well, the boat in hand, surprisingly, we left to try and go find out more information about this Isis place. We stumbled upon a workshop one that we weren't supposed to be around and ran into an individual who's almost angelic in her appearance. Short. Five foot five? Five foot four? She was a very short individual with turquoise hair and wings. She carried around equipment that I didn't quite understand at the time. Honestly, I still don't. But as we encountered this individual, we got to talking with her and started asking her questions because this workshop that she had, it resembled the technology that those individuals brought down to capture that dragon. I only wish that I could give more details about what happened so long ago. I do remember at some point during this conversation with who I now know is Yurina Fife. Draconis, the dragon lord of Isis, came into the conversation and started asking us questions about it. He also informed the very dense Yurina that she was pregnant. Apparently she didn't know that. 
And it took him about ten different tries to inform her that, yes, you are with child, you should get somewhere safe. But then he started questioning us. We informed him that these knights came from the city of Isis, and he told us that that was impossible. Of course, we didn't know that. We asked him how it was impossible, and it's because he told us it was because the city of Isis had been destroyed, and that he would be looking into this. So, I continued to ask him questions as well. He seemed to know quite a bit about me somehow, and I didn't understand how or why. He told me to seek the knowledge of essentially a city of spiders. Again, it was so long ago that I can't remember the name, no matter how hard I try. I just know that the city of spiders had a ruler. Uh, the queen was a Jorigumo, I believe is the term. She looks as if she's human, but is actually an arachnid. As well as a very, 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 very big spider as a king. We go to the city of webs and we are granted an audience. I'm apparently more important than I thought I was at that time. But we are granted an audience with the king of the City of Webs and his queen, the Jorigumo. And he grants upon me visions. Slight visions, though they be, but visions nonetheless. And we are informed to seek out Mm. Dragon's Reach A city of dragon riders We start heading in that direction My friend Baird also inquired about uh, A splicer named Addy I don't quite understand what he was trying to accomplish in that time But we continue on to Dragon's Reach. The problem with Dragon's Reach is that it's in the middle of a desert and it's on top of a cliff that's several hundred feet up in the air. And I'm not the best climber. So we have a problem. So we send the little pseudo dragon up to the top of Dragon's Reach to ask a dragon and dragon rider if they'll come down and give me a ride. The problem is, is again, it's several hundred feet up in the air and that pseudo-dragon is not the fastest flyer. So as night started to encroach upon the desert, I started feeling and hearing rumbling noises under the sand. And instead of potentially get eaten by giant worms that might live under the sand or sand sharks, who knows? I have no idea what the I have no idea what might have lived in that desert and I wasn't about to find out. I can tell you and I definitely remember this. I clung to the side of that cliff for about 14 hours before a silver dragon came down whistling all the way in a dive and snatched me off the cliff. I took fistfuls of cliff with me. 
I honestly, I don't think I'll ever forget that night. So, this is where things start to get a little bit fuzzy. We go to the top of Dragon's Reach, and I don't remember what we learned there. I don't remember exactly where we went from there either. Again, I'm several hundred years old in this lifetime. And I can't remember everything despite what I try to remember. At some point, we end up going back into the forests. We lost Baird along the way as we tried. We went to the desert and he tried to find Addy and he never came back. He was just starting to become my friend. And he never came back. We couldn't wait there at the edge of that desert forever. So we continued back to the forests. And... I remember coming across a minotaur smoking a pipe. Spouting some nonsense about, I see my ancestors. I really don't know, well, I do now, but I didn't know what that meant at the time. He asked me if I wanted to see my ancestors, and I asked him if there was any way that he could show me things about my past that I might not know. He offered me the pipe, and the scenery changed. The scenery changed in a very very dramatic way and we found ourselves for my party was brought with me a ranger named Wolf and a kitsune named Marut and a cat I remember the cat I can't remember the cat's name she didn't stick around for very long but the scenery changed quite a bit. But I think I'm gonna have to take a break. All these memories, all at once. They're draining. <sighs> Give me some time to get my facts straight and I'll come back and continue to tell you my story. But I need a drink first. Hey guys, it's me again, Brittany. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying the story so far. The story of what Lily herself has gone through. Now, I just want to take a moment to thank anyone and everyone who's come forward to actually listen to the stories that I have to tell. So, as a personal thank you, thank you. I want to go in depth about the environment that Lily is telling the story from and the environment from which she will be doing interviews in. She's doing interviews in the Lotus Tavern, a tavern owned by her very own daughter, 
Lotus. Hence why she thinks her daughter is a little bit egotistical. But the Lotus Tavern is a tavern that Lotus set up with her family, her husband and her daughter, grown right into a tree. Now, I don't know. I can't exactly explain why Lotus chose to start a tavern, even though she's one of my characters as well. But to give a rough layout of the tavern, there's a main floor, and the whole floor is packed dirt. Doesn't seem like a very nice tavern, but grown right into the tree, this tavern sports enough room for at least 20 people. Everything, everything is grown from the tree. Chairs, tables, the bar itself. Along the walls of this circular tavern are paintings that Lotus, her husband, and her daughter have painted along the walls. And along the rooftops, the ceiling, the tavern is decorated with live, growing vines of fruits and berries that Lotus uses to make her lovely alcoholic beverages, as well as some that aren't quite alcoholic. She doesn't serve food at this tavern, she doesn't know how to cook very well, but she does have some of the best drinks in town. So, again, I have to thank all of you for joining me and listening to the stories I have to tell. Now, we, we return to Lily's story as she starts delving into some of the more difficult and hurtful memories of her past. Thanks, guys, and I hope you all enjoy. still here. I'm glad you stuck around to hear the rest of my story. I'm afraid it's still a long tale, but if you stuck around this long, maybe it's actually worth telling somebody. I don't think I ever actually told anybody my whole story. Regardless, where did I leave off? Ah, right. The Minotaur, who was asking me if I had seen my ancestors. Upon him, split hoof, blowing the smoke of his pipe into my face, it sent not only myself, but my companions, unbeknownst to us, back in time. We seem to be in a different forest landscape. Lush greenery surrounded us. We made our way forward to try and figure out what had happened. We were just enveloped in smoke. We had no idea what was going on. We found ourselves in front of a large, large city with gleaming white walls and very large burly guards in black armor at the front gate. 
thinking that all of this was just a vision and not real, I very stupidly approached the guards and the city to try and look around. But that wasn't the case. They immediately confronted us, immediately stopped us. I mean, I'm very hard to miss. I'm very tall. And I'm very werewolf. Being followed along by a kitsune and another human, well, made it very easy for us to be spotted. We surrendered without getting into too much of a fight. A woman was called Ford, all in red leather armor, and insisted upon collaring me. I didn't like the idea, but considering the situation that we were in and the danger that my companions faced from my folly, I did it. I wasn't happy about it, but I did it. We were taken to the dungeons of this city to await whatever it was we were awaiting. And as we sat in this dungeon, this woman taking the collar she had placed upon my neck and taking this fine chain and hooping it over a hook in the ceiling. I didn't think much of it. It's a magical item, though. A magical item that I understand far more than I ever thought I would. At the time, I knew nothing of it, though. So I simply pulled the chain down and went to try and break the bars of the cage but doing so... Have you ever been kicked by a horse? In the head? That's essentially what it felt like was happening to my head as I removed the chain of that collar from its hook. My companion said I started bleeding from my ears. It was so bad. I couldn't move. I barely, barely was able to place the chain back where it was supposed to be. And once I had placed it back, the pain stopped. Strangely, Wolf, the ranger, and Marut were able to leave their cages. They weren't locked. I found this strange, and as Wolf wandered further down the dungeon cells to try and find another way out, he found something he didn't expect to see. He came upon a very large cage. A cage meant for beasts much, much bigger than ourselves, and not seeing something coming from me. This cage held a black dragon. Wolf started asking it questions and realized that this dragon's name or was told I don't remember if he was told 
This dragon's name was Draconis. Now, the Draconis that I knew at the time was a multicolored dragon of immense power and size and scope. A creature of legend that one did not mess with ever. This seemed to be the same Draconis millennia before he gained his power. Millennia. Or perhaps a few centuries, I don't know. My timelines are a little messed up. Ranger offered to try and break him free of his bonds and for a favour in return. But his attempts were folly. The woman in red leather armour was there, watching us the whole time. The fact that the cells were unlocked were not unusual, for how could we escape when they were watching? So eventually everyone came back to their cells. We were at a loss of what to do. We were weighing over our heads. As we're sitting in our cells, arguing with each other about what we could possibly do. Out of the shadows, out of some smoke, walks the Minotaur split hoof. I don't... How he got there, we didn't understand. We didn't know what was going on. But he asked if we would wish to return to our time. My companions said yes. But me, desperate, desperate for answers about my past. I said no. This part of history that I had been sent to was part of my past, and I had to figure out how. I had to figure out how I got into that crypt, and why I was woken up, and who I was. I didn't know. So, I stayed. I was tortured. And tormented. Turned into a soldier for the army of the city. I rose through the ranks and became one of their generals. And when Draconis and his dragon rider, the woman that his soul is bond to, rebelled. I was sent to fight them. By the time that I was sent to fight them, Draconis had recovered much of his power that I knew from the time before I went back into time. He ended my life and the life of thousands 
with a multi-omni-elemental breath weapon that vaporized us into almost glass. And then I woke up again in a crypt. My life followed this time loop for a very, very long time. I'd wake up in a crypt. I would seek answers. I would find split hoof. I would be sent back into time. And I would die again. By Draconis and Kayla Lineheart. Over and over and over and over again and every time I went back in time to figure out my past I remembered everything as soon as I was left in that cage it all came back to me every single time I chose to stay I always met my end it never changed Until I'd... Until I'd changed my decisions. I changed tactics. I changed sides. Instead of fighting for the city and against Draconis and Kayla, I joined them instead. I fought with them. I fought with them for freedom. Freedom from the city and its ruler. And once that war entered a break, for it never really truly ended, I sought out the companions I had travelled with into the past. I sought out the Kitsune Marut and I sought out Wolf the Ranger. And I eventually found them. I found them in the city of Isis. In the timeline that I had broken, the time loop I had broken, the city of Isis had been destroyed. We didn't know how, but it had been. In this timeline where I had decided to change sides, to change history, it still existed. A sprawling, massive cityscape created for dragons, humanoids, werewolves, yanti, creatures of all sorts and sizes. A sprawling cityscape made for all. And Isis. A city that will rise and rise again. Was it full strength? So we went there, of course. Isis is supposed to be ruled by Draconis and Kayla. And I had spent the last... Gods only know how many years serving them. With the time loop. I didn't know. Upon entering the city, a 
It didn't take long for me to be confronted by a werewolf named Stefan. At the time, he was the current leader of the Werewolf Legion in Isis. Then he challenged my loyalty, for I had been gone for many years. We were circled by my people, other werewolves, and Stefan demanded that I fight him and prove myself. I refused. I am Alpha, and being challenged makes my blood boil. But I would not fight my own people to prove my loyalty. That's not how you prove loyalty. I will always refuse to prove my loyalty by fighting. It makes no sense. My refusal to fight was apparently the correct answer. Because after my declaration that I would not fight, he stood down and addressed me as general. Through the years, I had become Draconis and Kayla's general of the Isis garrison. We found an inn to sleep called the Purple Worm. A very large inn made for not only medium-sized creatures, but uh, gargantuan creatures as well, for it was a favourite stop of the Dragon Riders. I was soon called to a meeting room of all of the representatives of Isis and as general being back I was called forth to help I was given a cloak to so that people could recognize my station. <laughs> I still have it today, actually. It's the only thing that I have left that even connects me to Draconis and Keela and being under their service. I am Alpha of my people, but my fealty and my loyalty will always be to Draconis, my friend even if he may not see me as his friend. <laughs> there, in this council meeting, I met others who'd be a part of my life for the rest of my life. A tall, platinum-haired individual with serpentine eyes and black wings a serious man 
by all means, and leader of the defences of Isis on the technological side, Kronos. Our leader of espionage, a catfolk who could turn completely invisible and was almost completely undetectable. Vash. He still kind of creeps me out, and every time I say his name, I think that he's going to appear somewhere and try to shank me in the kidney. Then, of course, there's Draconis and Kayla, the leaders, and myself, the general. Uh, there were a few others, but none extremely notable. But at this point, things get a little difficult. Or rather, they start moving quickly. After the meeting where the details about different allies, one being near in Ragnar at Noraku's point, and an issue about a lich at Whispering Winds. I took on a job for Draconis. The lich was a problem. So we went to take care of it. We left for Whispering Winds, travelling for about a week. Before I left, I acquired some armor from an enchanter named Morgan. A man far, far too beautiful for his own good. Now, I'm not actually supposed to talk about it. He looks like an elf, but he's not. He's actually a male nymph. Something that isn't supposed to exist. I don't know his story, but I do know that he's extremely knowledgeable. Inside his pocket dimension, He's devised a library that takes down the records of the ages, and this library is full. Full of secrets and knowledge not available to others because of how dangerous it could be. But I wasn't interested in that at the time. I just needed him to enchant some armor for me so that I could switch. And by switch, I mean, I myself do not have a human form, but via polymorph spell, I can take on a human guise. I had him enchant this armor so that I would be able to polymorph down into a human, essentially, and to also ward against undead, considering we were going to kill a lich. <laughs> Holy body blade armor. My armor was ablative and covered in small blades 
that would rip apart my enemies if they tried to surround me. <laughs> I had this armor for a long time. I became known for it, really. With some protection in hand, I gathered my group of friends and we headed out towards Whispering Winds to fight the Sledge. We travelled for about a week before we came upon a large tower surrounded by a desolate cityscape that was covered in a dark, noxious fog. I lost two friends to that fog. A drow from the city of Ishval and his pseudo-dragon companion to try and stupidly test the fog. They walked into it and died not two seconds later. Now, the thing about a lich, if you know how, they're actually quite simple to destroy. Liches survive via phylactery, and they usually keep their phylacteries very, very hidden and very, very safe. It took us some doing to circumvent the city of death fog, essentially. Death fog and undead. It took us some time. But we eventually found our way into a section of the city that had a large tree. We were working with an individual that had faced the lich before and had some prior knowledge to where he might hide his phylactery. And to our pleasant surprise, as we dug around what I could only assume was once a graveyard, we found it. A glittering gem skull. And we destroyed it destroying the Lich of the Whispering Winds, or so we thought. <laughs> the Khan wouldn't come into play until much later on in our lives, but for the time, he was destroyed. <sighs> After our little incursion out into the world to deal with the Lich Con. We were returned to Isis. <sighs> we 
When we returned to ISIS, I had to wait within the city. I was informed that the blood moon was close at hand and that without me, my people wouldn't go near to Feral during a blood moon. So, I waited. And during this time, some of my companions departed, Marut going his own way. As I explored around the city, I met two new individuals, a were-tiger named Azura, and another kitsune named Frasera. We were confronted by Kronos and asked if we wanted to have a cybernetic implant put into the back of our souls, or skulls. I said souls. I meant skulls. It may Well, you get the idea. We had some sort of technology implanted into the base of our skulls didn't really understand it. Took Kronos quite a lot to knock me out, considering their drug cocktail definitely wasn't doing the job. He banged me in the centre of my forehead and that did the job. But it gave Zura and I access to some of the security based weaponry. I only wish that back then I liked Zara. At the time, he was a pompous young peer in the ass who had a bit of a racist <sighs> thought process. He thought that only pure born wearers were worthy and actually would pick a fight with anyone who had been turned into a werewolf or were tiger or were whatever. I had a problem with that. But we didn't confront each other about that until a couple of days later. Where we did get into a fight. Of course, I kind of deserved it. And then he also kind of deserved it. Because of his racism, speciesism, towards. Whereas who weren't pure-blooded, I kind of laughed at him when he nearly lost his arm while hunting to a bear. In retribution, he punched me. And I punched him through a window. Because of our infighting and the fact that two werewolves fighting in the center of town could actually cause quite a ruckus. <laughs> we were interrupted and taken down to an arena by Vash the leader overseer of the espionage of Isis because of our foolishness he put us in this arena to fight to kill each other if we wanted to <laughs> I knocked Azura out in one hit. But I wouldn't kill him. 
I could never kill my friend. For a friend he did become. Oh boy, wow. <laughs> you know, I never really realized how long Lily's story could be. <laughs> She's my first character, though, and despite making quite a few other characters, she pops up throughout our campaigns in history. For now, this is the end of this episode. And I would say only about a quarter of Lily's story has been told. In this first part, I have to explain, there's not a lot of detail. Because this story happened almost four to five years ago. And it's hard to remember that far back. Especially minor, minor details. But as I start getting into more key plot points, plot points that took a long time to actually resolve, her tales will start getting a little bit longer and a little bit more detailed. But for now, for now, I hope that you all enjoyed this taste of Lily's story. And I hope to see you all in the next episode of Backyards and Basilisks. Thank y'all. And y'all have a wonderful, wonderful day. <laughs>